Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord from the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. Dear brothers and sisters, I write to you to tell you how to better appeal to the people and grow your churches. First off, remember that the customer is always right, and we are always in a competition with other churches for customers. Be sure that your brand is more attractive than the church down the street. Okay, remember the three E's. Give the consumers entertainment, give them emotion, and give them an experience. Make the customer's Sunday worship as comfortable as possible. And then, brothers and sisters, as soon as you get them in the door, you must begin to consider retention. The lower the expectations that you place on people, the more likely that they will stay. Remember that if one of your members gets offended at anything, then the best thing for them to do is to go to another congregation that does a better job of meeting their needs. So make certain that you do as much to avoid all conflict as possible. For many of your members, their best track to spiritual development is to move congregations every so often so as to avoid committing too deeply to any one place. Vulnerability is scary, and we must avoid pain or challenge at all costs. And always, church, keep this proverb in mind. A shallow church is a growing church. Right, I have a confession for you this morning. Paul didn't really write that. Um, I, I might have written that. Now, in fact, if you go to Scripture and if you actually look at all the things that Paul does write about the church, you see that he doesn't write the way I just wrote. Instead, what Paul likes to do is he flips our normal expectations on their heads, um, and he thinks very differently than the way that many people in the world think about church today. Okay, Paul doesn't start with us as consumers, Okay, Paul never starts with the idea of, okay, so what is the church going to do for you? Right, that's not his question. Okay, because if you think about it, if you're a church consumer, uh, then your job looks very different. Right? If you are a church consumer, then your job is to sit back and critique the church and talk about whether or not the church is meeting your personal needs. Okay, that's not the way Paul writes. Okay, he starts with the church as the most important thing much more important than the individual believer. Okay, Paul says you commit to the church because it is the body of Christ. Okay, Jesus died for you, and so because of your commitment to Jesus, you are going to love the church. Okay, if the church is the bride of Christ, and if Jesus loves the church, we're supposed to be like Jesus. I think that means we're supposed to love the church too. Okay, we're supposed to do everything we can to support it. Okay, I think we're supposed to make the church our family. And I think we're supposed to be walking alongside our brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. Is that fair? Now, sometimes churches are unhealthy. Okay? Sometimes you should leave a church. Okay? I get that. Okay? I moved my family here from another state because I was leaving a much less healthy church to come to one that was very healthy. Okay? I understand sometimes we need to make moves and that's okay. All right? But I think what we need to do is we need to start with the body of Christ, and then we ask, okay, how do I fit into that? Okay, rather than starting with myself and asking, okay, so what is the church going to do for me? 
Right? You see the difference in those two things? Right? That's almost Kennedy-esque, right? Yeah, that's what the history teacher was thinking, right? Okay, one of these positions makes me a consumer, and it keeps me at the center of attention, and it makes life all about me and what I want, and the other one makes me a servant to something that's much bigger than myself, and at the end of the day, it is only by serving something much bigger than myself that I can ever find true fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Okay, so today is a special Sunday for us here at Gwinnett. Like I said earlier, uh, after services today, we're having a workshop about empowering our spiritual gifts. We have a very special guest with us all the way from Harding uh, in Memphis. Um, And a lot of what I'm going to say to you this morning is stuff that I have shamelessly stolen from his work. Okay, so anything good I say, you can give credit to him. Uh, He has also promised that this afternoon, anything I say that is incorrect, he's going to correct it. Right? And he thinks that in less than three hours, he can correct all of my failings, uh, which is very impressive. So we're looking forward to that, and that'll be good. All right, but to get us into this topic, I want us to look at the real book of Ephesians. Uh, and I would argue, and I have argued before, that the book of Ephesians is all about reconciliation. If you look at the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, you look at what Jesus accomplished with his life, Okay, first of all, we are now reconciled to God. Okay, the relationship between us and God has been restored. And if that is true, then we are also reconciled to each other. Okay, if Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me, then we ought to love each other also. Okay, and so he goes into saying there's now no Jew or Gentile because in God's kingdom we are all brothers and sisters, part of this same family of God. Only now can we experience true unity in the church based upon this gospel. Okay, but have we been reconciled to God and reconciled to each other so that we can sit in our nice, very comfortable country club-esque churches and just enjoy it? Or have we been reconciled for a purpose? Okay, he says you have a job to do. Because you've been reconciled to God, because you've been reconciled to each other, now you can take on the job you were created for, which is being Jesus to the world. Right? We are supposed to be part of this mission, this ministry of reconciling the world to God. Okay, and if you just turn on the news for about five minutes, uh, you can see that our world desperately needs it. Okay? So when you think of the book of Ephesians, think reconciliation. Reconcile to God, reconcile to each other on a mission to reconcile the world. Okay, and that's the, the view from the airplane level. And now when we get down into it, I want you to go to chapter 4. And if you read Ephesians chapter 4, you notice that Paul starts with an emphasis on unity. Okay, he says, if you are really a follower of Jesus, then you need to make every effort to live at peace with each other, live in unity, because all of us as Christians are united on the things that matter most. Okay, this is the passage where he famously says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, etc. Okay, and I think part of what he's saying is there's a lot of stuff that you and I can disagree on. Hey, even just in the leadership at this church, there's stuff that we disagree on. We don't agree on every single thing, right? I'm still trying to convince them of some stuff they need to get right, but that's a whole separate lesson, okay? okay? But what do we agree on? What we agree on is the stuff that matters most. These are the essentials, and so long as we can be united on Jesus is Lord, there is one God, all of those things, then we can have a united body living in peace, Okay? But then notice what he says in verse 7. Because in verse 7, suddenly he changes tracks and he says, But, 
verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Okay, and notice what Paul is doing. I think he's moving from unity and the things that we are all the same on to individuality and the ways in which we are all different. Okay, so in some important ways, we're all the same. Right? Uh, we all got the same Savior. We're all saved by grace. We're all just as valuable to God as everybody else is. Okay, and yet, in some other very equally important ways, we're all very different. Right? We have different skills and abilities. We have different gifts that God has given to each one of us for use in his kingdom. This is where the individual spiritual gifts come into play. All right? So we start with, we're all united on the stuff that matters most. We're all the same in the eyes of God. We are all his children, but we've all also been created differently. And that's where we're going to focus the rest of our time. Notice what he says starting in verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, here's my first point this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down, and that is that the point of the gifts, the point of your individual spiritual gift, the point of us coming together as a church and pooling our gifts together is to take us to maturity. You notice in verse 11, Paul lists out all these different leadership positions, okay, and we could talk about the different things those individual words mean, okay, but this is not an exhaustive list of all the leaders in the church, and that's not his point. His point is, we've been given leadership in the church for a purpose. What's the purpose? It's to equip all of us as members to build us up as the church to take us somewhere. Where are we going? To look like Jesus, okay, to be mature. All right, uh, don't press my following metaphor too far, but I think it works on a certain level, so take it for what it is. Okay, but in April of 1607, Jamestown became the first English colony in the New World that made it. Okay, and what's astounding to me about the settlement at Jamestown is that 105 men landed to start that colony along with their families. And 35 out of that 105 had the occupation of gentlemen. Okay, how do you get that job is a great question, right? Okay, and 40 of the 105 were soldiers. And now, what the town needed more than anything was farmers to plant crops and builders who could build places they could live. Okay, but the gentlemen thought that manual labor was beneath them. Okay, again, how do you get that job, right? And so they rarely helped with the farming. Okay, the soldiers did just a little bit better, but that wasn't really their job, and they weren't very good at it. Okay, the leader of the colony finally had to threaten the gentlemen into working, and so they worked a little bit, but he had to fight them every inch of the way. Okay, by the time the first winter was over, 
only 35 of the initial colonists survived, and the only reason they survived at all was because the local native tribes gave them food. Now again, don't press the metaphor too far because it's certainly not perfect. Okay, but what happens to a group of people who resist being led to the things that need to be done? Okay, what happens if people think, well, I've got my job, uh, and I'm not doing anything else? Okay, Paul gives us in this text a goal of maturity as a church, and the only way that we will get there is if we allow ourselves to be equipped to work in God's kingdom. We have to take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to us to improve on our gifts, to expand our gifts, to continue using our gifts for God's kingdom. We need to be focused more on the work than we are on ourselves. Okay, so part of what it means for you to be a member of the Gwinnett Church of Christ is that you are agreeing to take opportunities to become better equipped and then to use that to serve the body of Christ. You are part of something that is bigger than you. Right? So as a member of the church, whether you're an elder or a teenager, you're not a consumer, you're a worker. I think part of the problem that we see in a lot of churches today is that churches are a commodity for consumers, and so we're just competing like other businesses trying to get greater market share. Okay, that's not the way God ever intended it. Okay, all of us have gifts, all of us are supposed to be working, and all of us should be able to answer the question, what ministries are you involved in? Okay, if you're a worker in God's kingdom, I should be able to go up to any one of you and say, so what ministries are you doing? And you should be able to tell me. Okay, how am I growing to be a better servant of the body of Christ? How am I developing my gifts for service? In our Wednesday night class, I made a joke just this last Wednesday uh, that I think my spiritual gift may really be the gift of criticism. Okay? I'm good at it, all right? If my wife was here, she would give you an amen right now. She'd say, yeah, he really is good at it, right? Okay. But there is no gift of criticism. Okay? There's no gift of just sitting and critiquing what other people are doing. That's not a thing, Right? There's no spiritual gift of making sarcastic remarks in Bible class, okay, or mid-service, Robbie, for that matter, right? Okay, there's no gift of just showing up late for service and leaving early, okay? There's no spiritual gift of just looking good, uh, although that may be my secondary gift on top of criticism. No, you can't make, see, that's why I put it in the order I put it, was so that I could say no sarcastic comments, then I could talk about how good looking I am. That was intentional. You know, God gives us our gifts, he gives them for a reason. He gives us our gifts to take us to maturity. All right, here's number two. And that is that you don't need anyone's permission to do ministry. All right, one of my favorite things to hear as a church leader uh, is when people come up to me and tell me, you know, I think the church ought to do X. Or even better, what I love even more is when people come up and tell me, you know what, preacher, I think you ought to do X ministry. Okay? I love that. Okay? And actually, don't let my elders hear me say this, but they are really good at this, and they regularly tell people, oh, you think the church should be involved in this? Great. How can we help you do it? Okay? Which is great. 
You know, I remember there was an older gentleman at the church that we were at in Texas, and he regularly complained to me and anyone else who would listen uh, about how the church ought to do more personal evangelism. The church needs to be doing more going to people's houses, knocking on the door, and having personal one-on-one Bible studies with people. Okay? And he harped on me all the time about, you need to be doing this more, the church needs to be doing this more, uh, we need to be doing more personal evangelism. Okay? And that's all fine and good, but in all the years that he harped on that, he never once went out and knocked on anybody's door and did a one-on-one Bible study with people. Okay? If you think the church ought to be doing something, that's great. Go do it. Okay? And if you're doing it well, other people will follow you. Okay? The reason that we had a group go feed the homeless last week was because some of our folks thought that's something we should do, and so they did it. Okay? The reason that we support digging wells in Ghana and support a mission work in India, participate in the co-op, okay, it's because we had people here who were passionate about a ministry that needed doing, and so they did it. Okay, our three shepherds do a really good job of encouraging and equipping people's passions, and that results in great ministry. All right now, again, there's some caveats, right? I'm not advocating anarchy where everyone just goes their own direction and does whatever they want. Some ministries aren't going to fit in well here. Maybe you've seen something work really well at another church and you want to bring it here, and for some reason it's not going to work here as well as it did at the other church. We see that happen too. We've tried a lot of stuff that didn't end up working, and we end up killing it later, right? That happens, okay? Some ministries aren't going to fit here. Some things don't work certain ways. There's a lot of reasons why sometimes ministries don't get off the ground. Okay, but my point is that when we see ourselves as workers, God will show us things that need doing. Okay, if we see that our job is to be workers in the kingdom, then God will show us areas where we can use our gifts for service. If we see ourselves as church consumers, then we will not utilize the gifts God has given us, okay, and consequently we will fail to reach maturity. Is that fair? All right, number three. And then Matt can correct this all in a, in a little bit. All right. And that is, don't get so focused on blank is my gift. Okay? Don't get so focused on this one thing is my gift. All right, any of you ever take the Myers-Briggs test, personality profile? You know what that is? Okay, I took that. I am an ISTJ. Uh, you ever take the DISC personality assessment? Okay, on the DISC, I'm a C. All right, uh, any of you ever take the Harry Potter, which house do you belong in test? Okay, I was really hoping I would be in Gryffindor, but I'm a Ravenclaw instead, but that's going to be okay. Uh, On the test, are you a lion, beaver, otter, or golden retriever? Uh, I took the test. Interestingly enough, it said that my physique is lion, but my personality is beaver. I didn't even know that was an option, but that's how it came out. If you're familiar with the Enneagram personality profile, um, my number is a type 9, which I don't really know what that means, but maybe that means something to you. Um, my wife has a test like that she really likes. It tells you if you're a square, circle, triangle, or a squiggle. Okay, I don't know what a squiggle is, but I test it as a triangle. And she tells me sometimes, that was a very triangle thing to say. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You can go to BuzzFeed and find it if you really want to. Okay, It's there. All right, and all of these tests have some limited value. All of them can be kind of fun, uh, but I really wouldn't take them too terribly seriously. Now, in the same vein, uh, I could give you a spiritual gifts test. 
Um, I've got several in my office that I've seen used at other churches, and you fill out all the questions and say, are you more like this or this? And if you answer enough questions, eventually you get down to, here is my gift. Okay, I've taken various ones of these before. Usually I score highest as a teacher. Okay, and that basically means that if there's work that needs to be done, uh, I'm not likely to do it, but I'll tell you how I think you should do it. Uh, again, I think there's a reason why in, in our study in James, he says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, right? We only need a, a small number of those. Okay, and my fear with just locking in on, here's my one thing, is that that can be very limiting instead of empowering. Okay, I think you have many gifts. I think God's grace has been poured out on you in a large portion. I think you have opportunities to do lots of amazing things. And I don't want any of us to just limit ourselves to just, hey, here's my one lane and I've got to stay in it and I can't do anything outside of it. Okay? Uh, there's a lot of times, especially in a smaller church like we have, where your gift may not be going out and cleaning up brush out back, but that's what we need and so we do it. Right? Your gift may not be setting up tables and chairs, uh, but actually I need you guys to help me set up tables and chairs right after service this morning. Okay, so even if that's not your gift, please help us set up some tables and chairs. Okay? Just because something is not, hey, here's my one gift, right, don't let that be a limiting thing. Right? It's important for us to know, okay, here's things I'm better at than others, and that can be very helpful. Uh, but let that be an empowering thing and not a limiting thing. Is that fair, Matt? Okay. All right. Um, at this time in our service, we're going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. And, and the big point I want us to get out of today is think about how do I look at my church life as I'm a worker, not a consumer? How do I think about how it's not about me, it's about the body of Christ? How do I put the things that Jesus is doing ahead of the things that are just about me? How do we really love each other the way Jesus loves us rather than letting it all center around myself? All right, so I hope you'll stick around for the, the seminar after our services this morning. Uh, but at this time in our service, we're going to have an opportunity to have a, an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, we would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. And before we sing that song, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.